This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Many countries are still reckoning with what happened in the aftermath of World War II. Now, all while I was growing up in the 1980s, there were stories about people being found living normal kind of everyday lives, but turns out they had served the Nazis. And back then, there was all this discussion about bringing that to light, holding people accountable for their history. But did Canada ever truly do that? Like, did we grapple with who we let in and what their histories might have been? Well, maybe we didn't. Because an investigation by our next guest shows that maybe we still have a lot to learn. Conrad Swetman is a Winnipeg arts communicator and musician and has written about the history of the Winnipeg Art Gallery. And he joins us now. Conrad, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. How did you get started on this? Well, um, you know, I there had always been rumors that Ferdinand Eckhart, the uh, director of the Winnipeg Art Gallery in the post-war years, um, had maybe had some ties with the Nazi Party, but it was really just whispers that I had heard in Winnipeg, and I decided to look into it. And um, you know, quickly, I started to find there was evidence he'd written a number of Nazi articles, but it took a little bit longer to sort of get the full uh, picture, um, uh, which was that he was, for at least a period, a committed member of the uh, the Nazi party, and then uh, had gone on to work for IG Farbing, which was a company that um, constructs Auschwitz and, and is complicit in all kinds of war crimes. Um, and then he comes to Canada and becomes this pioneering figure in the arts world here. Okay, let's start with the history that w- people in Winnipeg might know him as. What was the association with the Winnipeg Art Gallery? Well, both Ferdinand and his wife are sort of key figures in the prairie cultural scene. She's one of our most important composers, um, and um, he, he um, you know, when he comes to Winnipeg in the 1950s, there isn't much of a sort of, um, you know, art scene, really. And, um, you know, the Winnipeg Art Gallery had, I think, two people working for it. And under his helm, um, or under his tenure, I should say, the the the, um, the wag you know emerges as this sort of modern powerhouse uh, you know it's a massive building now and, and, and one of the most important arts institutions in Canada um, so and there's been a lot of things named after the the couple that uh, the universities even as far you know a field as Calgary will find things named after them okay and so was it known about the history that he had during World War II like how did all this come out. So, you know, as I say, there was whispers that he had, um, he also has a very, very sizable art collection, and there had always been rumors that maybe some of it had been looted. And I, to be clear, I make no accusations that any of his art collection, which ends up at various galleries across the world, is looted. But those were the, there were whispers of that, and, but there was never anything official about his ties to the Nazi party, or rather to, well, in his case, it's more a matter of writing a number of pro-Nazi articles and uh, you know pledges of loyalty to Hitler and you know things of that nature. Um, and but it was really an historian. I, people keep giving me credit for all this, but it was an historian in Germany who had um, first sort of given the profile of Eckhart and his foray into Nazi politics a few years ago. And then what I was able to do was I 
and covered it. And, and then I was able to build on it by just going to the archives and accessing his memoirs and various things from his estate, which sort of confirmed and expanded on this other guy's uh, profile of Eckhart. Okay, so then what did you find out about his time in Germany? Well, um, I was able to get just a, you know, a broader picture of what he was up to. And, you know, to be clear, it's absolutely the case that I think it's important in Canada that we have a conversation about Nazi expats in Canada. Um, And, you know, there is this sort of concerning legacy of Canada being maybe a little too hospitable to uh, people that were, you know, in some cases even war criminals uh, coming into Canada. Eckhart was not, from what I stand, a war criminal. He was a, you know, a, a loud champion of the Nazi party, at least for a time. And, um, you know, what I found was just, you know, things about how arts education should serve the Nazi cause and, you know, and, and sort of just these glorified statements about national socialism. And, um, you know, it was all sort of within the context of these these arts journals. And then I, you know, was able, you know, had learned more about IG Farben, which was the company he worked for. And they produced Zyklon B, which is the chemical, it was the preferred killing tool in the gas chambers. And he's peripheral to what they're doing at IG in terms of, you know, mass murder. But he still, it's, it was, you know, it said that it was an open secret with IG Farben what was going on. I also found it looks like he may have been, you know, arrested on suspicion of art theft before he came to Canada. And then even as late as 19, the early 1970s, there's a notorious Nazi that presents at the Winnipeg Art Gallery. And Eckhart is there as an honored guest. But, you know, for, for, you know, the WAG tells us that it was totally separate from him in any case. So there's a concerning pattern here that should maybe cause us to scrutinize his legacy a little bit more. So then how does somebody like that come to Canada? I mean, he clearly, he didn't try to hide any of the history, did he? Like, you were able to find it pretty easily. I mean, I would say that he, yes, there is a certain amount of concealment that goes on in his case. Um, you know, um, I don't think he probably imagined that people would find all the articles. This is when he, he wrote his memoirs before he died, and he died in 1995. And he sort of gives us some, there's this almost a sort of some apologetics in there. I mean, it's very possible he came to regret all this. I think he even possibly had Jewish friends in Winnipeg. Um, um, so he, he kind of gives us a version of this, of his narrative in his memoirs that, that you know, are kind of ha- part of the story. But I don't think he imagined that people would, through the Internet and through, you know, digital archives and so on, be able to access, you know, the, the, the many articles that he wrote that were, that were pro-national socialism. Um, sorry, I don't know if I answered your question. No, you did, because then I'm wondering, so he, he talked about it? Like, so you say he, they, he had expressed some regret later. Like, did he ever talk about his past? Not, as far as I know, never publicly. In fact, he, he had instructed, from, from what I've been able to gather, he instructed that his memoirs not be published until after he died. And then among his memoirs in his estate, we find he keeps a, a number of you know, letters and articles, things showing that he was enforcing anti-Semitic policies on behalf of the uh, Militant League for German Culture, which is sort of an offshoot of the Nazi party. He, he kind of preserves enough to kind of give us some idea of what went on. And there's a kind of, I wouldn't say that the tone of his right is the memoirs is overly apologetic. It's more sort of like, oh, this was youthful folly. You know, he describes, he, he calls the manuscript Mein Kunstkopf, which is obviously a play on Hitler's Mein Kopf, right? But in this case, it's my art struggle. So I don't know if he's being, it's sort of, a, 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 I think, a crude joke. Um, so I, I don't know, you know, what his, what ultimately his frame of mind was in all of this. It's, it's hard, hmm. I can only speculate. 
Yeah, and you're right, though. It brings up so many interesting questions, right, about Canada and, and whether or not we have fully grappled with it, that history. Do you think we have? No, I don't. Um, and, you know, people often talk about cancel culture right now. And I think there is a, a, a valid sense that we should, you know, maybe afford people a high degree of you know forgiveness and, and, and privacy for their foibles. And I tend to agree with that. But I also don't regard forays into Nazi politics as the sort yeah. of thing that can, um, you know, just be ignored. Um, are swept under the rug, you know. Um, um, there's a line you know, somewhere, right? Like there's there has to, there's there has there's some line. there's youthful mistakes, and then there is full on joining these kinds of things and and participating yeah. in an organization that you know was not right. Yes, yes, and uh, you know, and in his case, he was already in his thirties when when this was going on. Um, you know, Nazism, I was regarded as the most heinous ideology and political movement to ever exist, and it just seems that where particularly where public figures engage in this sort of thing, and we're writing these, you know, these we're lionizing them in our histories as as went on with with Eckhart, a certain transparency is due, and you know, people. You know, I can't pass judgment on Eckhart's soul, so to speak, but uh, it, it just seems to me that if we're going to be treating these people as patron saints of the arts or any other field, we need a, a full picture of things. As for the average, you know, I think in Canada, a lot of the conversation right now is less about well-known public figures. It's about people who are involved in the SS, um, like Hunka, who was in Parliament. You know, the, the, I'm sure right. many listeners will be aware of that scandal when there was... Um, you know, an SS man was honored in the Canadian Parliament in the fall. Uh, but people like this, you know, they're actually lesser known in Canada. They sort of led much more ordinary lives than someone like Eckhart. Um, but in many cases, their crimes are, are I would say, are far greater, too. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, there's an interesting history there. Of, mm-hmm. of, of, of There was a time where it seemed like it was easier, according to some historians, to um, enter into Canada if you were an ex-member of the SS than if you were Jewish. So... There, it does seem to me that there maybe needs to be some reckoning. I mean, if nothing yeah. else, it's not necessarily about cancel culture. It's just about trying to confront, you know, some of the hard truths about our country and our and our history. And I and I think there's actually something kind of patriotic about that. It's not anti-Canada. It's just you know, if you if you if you believe in Canada and you believe in the project of Canada, as as many you know, say they do and they, they they wave their flags, you should be able to, they wave their flags, you should be able to also confront what's ugly about our history. Well, Conrad, thanks for talking to us about it today. We appreciate that. Thank you so much. That's Conrad Swetman, a Winnipeg-born uh, arts communicator and musician, talking about his discovery, his voyage of discovery, really, the research that he did into finding out about a prominent arts, you know, uh, curator of the Winnipeg Art Gallery for decades who had a past that was linked to the Nazis that doesn't get kind of talked about enough. Make some good points there, too.